I don't want yesterday to be the last time that I see him. Tonight, hundreds turn out to search for a four-year-old boy missing in Mackenzie since yesterday afternoon. Plus... We are Canadian! Vancouver's Chinese community divided over Hong Kong on another day of protest and... Well, you just walk around here like we've been doing and you can see what? Why Vancouver has been voted the world's friendliest city. See if you agree. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A desperate search is underway at a park in northern, the northern B.C. community of Mackenzie. Hundreds, including volunteers, are searching for a missing boy. Four-year-old George Hazard Benoit was last seen with his mom and her friend as they picked berries Saturday afternoon. As Tanya Beja reports, his disappearance has prompted a huge response from the community and a heartbreaking plea from his father. All I can really say is I just, I just want him home. Chris Benoit last saw his son George on Saturday. He's such a beautiful little boy. He's so bright and so shiny and... He... I just don't want to lose that. Police say the four-year-old was out berry picking with his mother near Lions Lake, about 180 kilometers north of Prince George. The two became separated shortly after noon. It's heartbreaking not knowing what's happening. Where is he? Conservation officers, police and search and rescue volunteers from around northern BC are combing the area. We're a very small town so um, everyone if they don't know this child themselves they know this child's parents or this child's grandparents so uh, every, everyone has been affected. Poor weather hampered the search by air but the rain did not stop more than 300 Mackenzie residents from joining the effort. I thank Mackenzie and I thank all the other people that have that have pitched in to, to help our son and help, help us find him. George was last seen wearing a bright blue coat with a hood, a black shirt with glow-in-the-dark lettering and dark navy pants. He's about three feet tall and has short, dark auburn hair. We just want our son home. That is it. Tanya Beja, Global News. Kelowna RCMP and the BC Coroner Service are investigating an apparent drowning in Okanagan Lake. Friends and family are remembering Jackson Cahill at a memorial that now sits at the ferry wharf. Police say a 15-year-old boy from West Kelowna jumped into the lake yesterday. First responders recovered him and performed CPR, but he later died in hospital. Dozens of Hong Kong protesters showed up at the Chinese consulate in Vancouver today, both in support of pro-democracy demonstrators and those siding with the Chinese government. Today's demonstration follows dueling protests outside the Broadway City Hall Canada Line station yesterday that snarled traffic for hours. Paul Johnson reports on an issue that's dividing Vancouver's Chinese community. You're looking at one of the deepest divisions between Chinese Canadians. Those with roots in Hong Kong, many of whom believe things like democracy and freedom of expression are universal rights. Those from mainland China, many who will tell you Canada's democracy was part of what drew them here. But if you ask them about the idea of democracy in Hong Kong, it gets complicated. Are you opposed to democracy in Hong Kong? Mm, yeah. And why is that? Well... 
I don't want a country to be separated into two parts. Well, I do have an opinion, but I don't want to say it, like in front of the camera. Sunday's demonstrations drew several hundred to each side, were entirely peaceful, and follow a pattern of similar events that have happened in Vancouver and other Western cities, with supporters of the Hong Kong protest movement finding themselves confronted with other Chinese loyal to the Communist Party in Beijing. In several cases, the Hong Kong partisans have accused the Chinese consulates of helping to organize the opposition. Check this out. A big line of commercial vehicles parked right in front of the consulate on the day of the demonstration. The police were apparently told by the consulate has nothing to do with the demonstration, just routine grounds maintenance. Do you have freedom of speech? Express what you want to say. While Sunday's counter demonstrators mostly stuck to their points of support for the Hong Kong police and rule of law, the Hong Kong freedom supporters weren't afraid to call them out for enjoying the benefits of democracy while arguing to deny it for others. They have to know that those people living in China are not are getting none of this. So why are they still supporting a regime that is not giving them all the freedom they're enjoying here? It is mind-boggling. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. In Hong Kong today, steady rain didn't deter demonstrators. An estimated 1.7 million anti-government protesters, many of them with umbrellas, gathered in defiance. Among the demonstrators, a prominent Canadian of Chinese descent. Global's Jeff Simple is there. Well, yet again today, thousands of people took to the streets of Hong Kong. This semi-autonomous city protesting what they see as China tightening its grip of authoritarianism and among the crowd here today we saw many Canadians. Hong Kong is in fact home to the largest Canadian diaspora of any city outside of Canada, 300,000 strong and one Canadian in particular has been leading the charge. Denise Ho grew up in Montreal and is now a household name in Hong Kong. The Cantonese pop music star is also a prominent activist. She recently addressed the United Nations, calling for China to be removed from the body's Human Rights Council. And she's now calling on her home and native land to stand on guard for Hong Kong. There is not enough pressure uh, from whether it's the, the uh, Canadian government or you know, even uh, the British. You know, we are this global community and if countries came together to deal with the situation, then I think there are things that can be done. This city is also breathing a sigh of relief. Many here were desperately hoping to avoid the violent scenes that we saw last week. And in the end, this protest was both peaceful and methodical. After 11 consecutive weeks, it seems Hong Kong is getting the hang of this whole protest thing and showing no signs of slowing down. Jeff Semple, Global News, Hong Kong. On Vancouver Island, the Saanich police confirmed they're investigating a suspicious death this weekend. Officers remain in the area of Crease Avenue, including along the Galloping Goose Trail, after a man's body was found outside a home yesterday morning. Investigators will remain in the area until tomorrow. Police say due to the nature of the man's injuries, his death is considered suspicious. They want to speak with any witnesses who passed through the area or who may have dash cam footage from yesterday morning. And because we don't know where the man came from, we are even still working to identify the man. 
So we have to really put um, a broad lens to where he could have come from. And in doing that, we do have to um, cordon off large portions of the area. And it, it is disrupting traffic. We appreciate that. But we also appreciate that um, uh, the community is being very patient with us. Um, there is no timeline for us to investigate these kind of incidents. Tomorrow marks four years since a young Vancouver Island woman's body was found. Police who believe she was murdered are asking the public for information. 19-year-old Dolores D.D. Brown's body was found near Norway Island off Lady Smith on August 19, 2015. She was last seen alive three weeks earlier in the early hours of July 27, partying with friends on Penelacut Island. Police are appealing to the public to come forward with any information that could help solve the homicide investigation. The family of a young Port Hardy man shot and killed by police four years ago is hoping an inquest set to begin this week will bring about change. The province's police watchdog has already ruled out criminal charges against the officers involved. But his relatives are hoping an inquest's recommendations will improve police interactions with those struggling with mental health challenges. Kristen Robinson reports. He um, was a really shy young man. He had hopes of having a child one day. Instead, Nora Hayward's nephew died in a confrontation with police. Time has passed, so I mean, it's healed a bit, but it still hurts. It's still like, like today, like we miss him. In July 2015, RCMP responded to a call about a man with a knife threatening people near the high school track in Port Hardy. 24-year-old James Butters, also known as James Hayward, was shot five times less than a minute after multiple witnesses say he ran towards officers with a knife and did not comply with police orders to drop it. James had no alcohol or drugs in his system at the time of his death, but he was in need. He was in crisis. He, he obviously needed help. He didn't need to be killed. Hayward doesn't dispute the evidence which cleared the officers involved of any wrongdoing and led BC's police watchdog to rule out criminal charges. But she hopes the inquest will bring recommendations that could change the way police approach people experiencing mental health breakdowns. My hope and desire is that for anybody, any family that has to deal with mental health and addictions, that this never ever happens to their family. Kristen Robinson, Global News. BC caregivers and a Vancouver NDP MLA are coming forward tonight with serious allegations involving a local settlement service agency. The caregivers and former staff of Multicultural Helping House Society claim the agency profited from them instead of assisting them and other newcomers to Canada. They allege MHHS board members used the agency and its resources to sell expensive and inappropriate insurance products to vulnerable immigrants who came to them for help. The caregivers also claim that people felt they had to pay to play for access to services. The CEO of the society denies the allegations. My most concern is what happened with the money raised by the caregivers. Who is handling now the affairs of the caregivers? Each of us have the right to know. These uh, women should be... Um, they should be heard, they should be supported, and uh, they, uh, we must bring an end to this situation. We are not engaged. Multicultural Helping House is a service provider, and as president, I am not aware of anything, of any activity that uh, involves Multicultural Helping House or insurance.
we are not an insurance agency. There are indications Vancouver is preparing to clear Oppenheimer Park of the tenth city that's grown to more than 200 people. The city has installed no parking signs on the blocks surrounding the park effective Monday. Sources tell Global News the park board will post notices and distribute literature tomorrow morning with information for those who will move into single-room occupancy hotels. The Vancouver Park Board will also offer storage to people who need it as they transition out of the tent city. As the tent city has grown, it has increasingly raised safety concerns for the occupants and those living nearby. The new head of the integrated homicide investigation team says there is a dedicated team of eight investigators working to try to solve the murder of a Cloverdale dad, Paul Bennett. The 47-year-old nurse at Peace Arch Hospital and beloved minor hockey league coach had no criminal record and no ties to gang activity. Bennett was gunned down in his driveway on Sunday on a sunny Saturday afternoon, rather, in June of 2018 in a case of mistaken identity. In an exclusive interview with Global's Janet Brown, I hit officer in charge Superintendent Dave Chohan says solving the case is a priority. We are diligently working towards this investigation. And uh, again, uh, you know, it's uh, the accumulation of all the evidence and then presentation to the Crown Council at the end of the day. Uh, but all I can say is that our teams are working uh, on this investigation on a daily basis. I am part of uh, weekly meetings with the team, so I have a full awareness of exactly what files we are working on. And I can assure you uh, that this is one of the files that I hear about uh, on a weekly basis. It was a somber ride for dozens of cyclists in Kelowna today as they escorted a ghost bike to the site of a tragic collision that cost a 69-year-old man his life. Jules Knox has more. A procession of cyclists traveling along Angel Way. One, a ghost bike without a rider. It's in honor of Ernie Gabs, killed when a semi-trailer crashed with his hand cycle. Ernie was my rock. He was the one that made me believe that nothing can stop you from doing what you want to do. He was fun and I really miss when he took me on adventures. The 69-year-old was paraplegic because of a workplace accident, but that didn't stop him from cycling. Last Monday, he was on his hand cycle, heading north on Dilworth Drive, when a truck tried to make a right-hand turn and the two collided. Well, as soon as Daddy told me the bad news, I started to cry, and it, it was just too soon. This is Kelowna's fourth ghost bike, somber symbols that mark the end of a cyclist's final ride. The trip to bring it to its resting place, a tough one. Because I knew where I was going to be when I got here, and I know directly what it represents. The ghost bike has now been decorated with flowers and balloons and a photo of Ernie Gabs. And around the middle hangs a tire from his hand cycle. It spoke still crushed in from the crash. It's the first time I've seen the wheel. I'm glad to be at the site where it happened. Police say they're still actively investigating the crash and don't yet know if charges will be laid against the truck driver. But for family and friends grieving here today, they hope the ghost bike will caution others to be careful. Even if you don't see anyone crossing because there could be someone lower than you, 
that you might not see. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. It's been a busy weekend for crews on the Fraser River. They've been breaking new records for the number of salmon transported past the Big Bar landslide. Yesterday, more than 1,900 Chinook and sockeye were caught and carried using helicopters. Previously, only about 1,500 fish had been moved per day. But with the installation of a fish wheel and now truck transport, there are hopes more salmon will make it to their crucial spawning grounds. For those who rely on the fish for their livelihood, there are new concerns, however. The solution may be harming the fish. You know, to be caught in nets below the big bar slide and, and having to be put in, you know, these uh, long line buckets of the helicopters and then transported, you know, above big bar and then released, you know, they, they must be traumatized. So I guess that's why there's so many of them that are dying. So, you know, what they're doing with the long lining, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a fruitless exercise. The incident command post says they are handling the fish as carefully as possible and that they are, there are only a few in a bucket at a time for minutes at a time, but they do not have any numbers on mortality rates. Since Thursday, countless TELUS webmail users have been fuming over a major outage. Well, now the communications giant is issuing an apology on Twitter. The issues with the remaining servers are complicated and it's taking far longer to resolve this problem than we would like. We know that you, our customers, are frustrated. We are doing everything we can to make this right. Please know that we are extremely grateful for your loyalty, your business, and your patience. That apology coming from the TELUS Chief Customer Officer. Thousands of customers in BC and Alberta have been without email for four days. TELUS says its system is having hardware issues. TELUS adds the majority of customers were back online Friday but acknowledges some accounts are still not working. The fate of the British-Canadian man known as Jihadi Jack has once again fallen into the lap of Canadian officials. Jack Letts has been in a Kurdish prison for two years after he travelled to Syria to allegedly join the so-called Islamic State. Well, now the UK has stripped him of his UK citizenship. Canada's public safety minister calls the move offloading. But Ralph Goodale insists Canada will be making no efforts to bring him here and that Canada has no legal obligation to do so. His father wants this resolved and is denying claims his son is a terrorist. If Jack Letts has done something wrong, I will be the first person to stand up and condemn him publicly and ask for him to go on trial and to be punished for what he did. I've now written to the Prime Minister's office and, and, and said, I, I, please, can we try to resolve this situation? Leaked documents published by the Sunday Times revealed British government is bracing for the worst in a no-deal Brexit, which could have a catastrophic impact on the British economy. That would include shortages of fuel, food and medicine, along with rising costs of social care, significant port disruptions and a hard border with Ireland. Even fresh water could be impacted due to interruptions of imported water treatment chemicals. It could also lead to massive customs delays as up to 80 85% of all trucks wouldn't be adequately prepared for French customs. Britain is due to leave the European Union in less than 75 days. 
A humanitarian group is pleading with the Italian government to allow a rescue vessel to dock after nearly three weeks at sea. The group says the migrants on board are facing an extreme humanitarian emergency. At the beginning of August, the Spanish aid group Open Arms picked up about 150 migrants off the coast of Libya. Today, some of the migrants took matters into their own hands, jumping overboard and trying to swim to Italy. They were followed by rescuers. Italy doesn't believe the situation is dire and is refusing to let the boat dock. Spain is offering to take the vessel, but the charity group doesn't believe the passengers can handle another six-day journey, given the emergency situation on board. The Islamic State's affiliate in Afghanistan is claiming responsibility for setting off a blast at a wedding in Kabul that killed at least 63 people last night. A car bomb was also detonated in the attack. A government spokesman says about 180 people were wounded in the city's deadliest attack so far this year. Fire swept through a slum in the capital of Bangladesh, leaving an estimated 3,000 people homeless. Firefighters scrambled to get access to enough water, struggling for more than three hours to douse the flames. Government officials say no fatalities have been reported, but many were injured. Fortunately, most residents were away celebrating a Muslim festival. NASA scientists are crisscrossing Greenland on a mission to track melting ice. Greenland has been melting faster in the last decade, and this summer it has seen two of the biggest melts on record since 2012. Scientists say the melting of the Greenland ice sheet is contributing to a rise in sea levels and that Greenland is a barometer for climate change. Why a lightning strike north of Winnipeg was a very close call for a group of people. We're going to have that for you right after the forecast. And Kasha is in for Yvonne tonight, live at the PNE. Hi, Kasha. Hi, good evening. Things are get, about to get a little corny over here in a good way. We've got the corn dog king with us over here. We've got Jason as well as Kat from Next Gen Concessions. I'll have your full forecast in just one second. But first, I'm going to admit I've actually never had a corn dog in my life. What can I expect? What kind of corn dog is this? So this is our cheesy ramen corn dog. It's new this year. Uh, we've done it all throughout the, all Canada, Calgary Stampede. We're doing wow. it at the CNE right now as well. Okay, very exciting. Now, your family has been a part of the PNE for over 60 years. How have you guys seen it change and evolve over the years? Yeah, the fair used to be a lot about the activities, you know, some, the music, the animals. Now it's a lot about food. Right, food is what's driving a lot of people here. We have people, you know, Instagramming us, trying to find us on Facebook, saying, "What are you bringing this here?" So things like this appear. Oh, this is so exciting! And I have to mention that these are the masterminds behind the dill pickle cotton candy that Yvonne had yesterday. Did she like it? Yeah, everyone's loved it. Everybody's been loving it. I love it. So I'm going to give this a try after the weather forecast. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you what to expect over the next few days. Your peony forecast, by the way, you guys are going to love it. It's going to be great over the next few days. The sunshine that we have been promising you over the past few days, it has arrived. It's plenty of sunshine at this point, and temperatures are right now sitting at about 21 degrees. Here's what you can expect over the next 24 hours. A very similar weather picture to today, a sun cloud mix into the afternoon. Tomorrow, morning drizzle, a chance of morning drizzle for your Monday morning. Meanwhile, look at current temperatures across the board. What a huge contrast between the northeast and the southern interior. Fort Nelson sits at a meager 7 degrees 
degrees at this hour. Dees Lake is only two, whereas we're looking at 30 degree weather across the southern interior. And yes, look at that. Have you been dreaming of a white August? Yeah, this was this morning. Thanks to Corinne for sending that in. Higher elevations of Fort Nelson picked up a fair amount of snow and we continue to have a snowfall warning in effect for these areas. We'll have details about that coming up with Colleen in just a few moments. Meanwhile, across radar returns, on our radar returns, you will note that we do have thunderstorms in the forecast and they are occurring at this point through northern interior sections as well as the central interior and the chance is there through the evening and the overnight. You'll note up in the north, in the purples, that's your snow. We'll continue to have the snow through the overnight and it's going to be tapering off early afternoon on your Monday. Everybody clears out for the most part Monday, but this is the next system that we are tracking. Rain heavy at times for the north coast and the northeast. It's going to be quite the active weather system with that one uh, moving in on our Tuesday. Meanwhile, for the BC piece, wet snow over higher terrain. Fort Nelson, that's tomorrow morning. Still a chance of showers for you in Fort St. John. White Horse is looking up to a sun cloud mix and 10 degrees still below seasonal on Monday. The north coast, the sun cloud mix clearing out. Your next system moves in on your Tuesday. Caribou in the central interior, still that evening risk of thunderstorms, but clearing out for your Monday. The Columbia and the Kootenai region, plenty of sunshine over the next two days. The next chance of precipitation for the southern interior is on our Wednesday. Chance of that for the Thompson Okanagan as well as Whistler. Whistler does have a chance of rain also on your Monday. We're going to be clearing out for you in the south and the east of Vancouver Island, pretty much up and down the island. We're clearing out through the day tomorrow. Monday morning again, that drizzle is possible. There's a look at your long-range forecast. And now, the moment that I've been waiting for my whole life because I've never had a corn dog. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Let's give this a try. Mm? Okay. Okay. I'll take it away from, from you, Cash, Very so you good. don't have to talk with your mouth full. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kesha. All right, as you just heard, a uh, little bit of snow up north. A uh, summer snowfall warning remains in effect for Fort Nelson in the northern PC. This is what Highway 97 at Steamboat Hill looks like, about 80 kilometers northwest of Fort Nelson. Environment Canada is calling for between 20 to 30 centimeters of snow for parts of the Alaska Highway. Higher elevations between Fort Nelson and Watson Lake will see heavy snow. Travel is not recommended. The early season heavy snow is expected to ease by Monday morning. Good grief. Well, it looked like fire and sounded like an explosion. That's what some who experienced a bolt of lightning on ebb and flow First Nation northeast of Manitoba say. More than a dozen people were sent to hospital Friday evening after a bolt of lightning struck a flagpole at a powwow. Global's Austin Siragusa explains why it's pure luck no one was killed. About 1,000 people were gathered at the Ebb and Flow First Nation for their annual powwow when heavy rain began to fall on the celebration. I noticed that that teepee just blew over and the lightning uh, hit that center pole there. It was pretty, like, like it was bright, like, kind of like a pink flash, and it was pretty loud. A half dozen ambulances quickly rushed to the scene, and according to Prairie Mountain Health, 13 people were sent to St. Rose General Hospital with varying injuries, but they were all released within 24 hours. The First Nations fire chief says the storm came out of nowhere. It wasn't even on the, on the Doppler radar, apparently, and uh, there was no warning issued, So, but uh, it just happened so fast they didn't have time to react. 
Environment and Climate Change Canada says there is a lot you can do to protect yourself if you are caught in a sudden thunderstorm. If they hear thunder, uh, they can go to two, one of two places, a car with a metal roof or a well-constructed structure with plumbing and electrical wiring are the two safest places to be in a thunderstorm. But the fire chief is thankful that everyone survived the scary situation. At the, after the aftermath, everybody had a, a deep sigh of relief, like nobody was uh, severely injured or killed. Austin Suragusa, Global News. And have a look at this. A man in South Carolina nearly takes a direct hit by a lightning strike. A flash of lightning so close caused him to stumble. The man had stepped out during the storm to grab lunch, saying he saw the flash and then felt a fizz go through his body. He dropped his umbrella and then took off. Two inches closer, and it would have been a very different story. Ooh, yeah. Umbrella in a lightning yeah, storm. It's not exactly the, uh, the calming uh, walk in, in the raindrops uh, experience <laughs> no. he was looking for. No, uh, I don't think so. A bit of a jolt there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right, what have we got coming up in sports? You probably wanted to ask I that. I would, would like to. Asking my own questions. Okay. We're going to finish up the uh, BMW Championship. Adam Hadwin needed to go real low today to get into the final 30. We'll uh, tell you who the Canadian Little Leaguers are going to play tomorrow in their next game. And uh, Seahawks exhibition action. Russell Wilson's in, so we'll have some highlights of that, too. Yeah, that doesn't make me dizzy at all. Not <laughs> even close. Okay, Bert, just ahead of your sportscast. Mm -hmm. uh, the Tokyo Summer Olympics, hard to believe, less than a year away. And one of the venues was officially open today. The Olympic hockey field was built in a park in a water near Tokyo Bay at a cost of more than $45 million. The field is covered with blue artificial turf. Men's and women's field hockey will be held there on four fields. After the 2020 Olympics, the facility will be used for soccer and lacrosse with blue turf. That's kind of wild. <laughs> I guess if it's fake, why pretend that it's grass? Sure, sure, sure. Why right? not? Mm. It's a nice, a nice thing to have. $45 million I don't later. I'm totally, I have nothing to add to <laughs> nothing. that. Nothing. I, I think the pictures speak, speak for, themselves. for themselves. They really, really do. You take it away. All right. Thanks, Colleen. <laughs> Uh, Adam Hadwin was in pretty good uh, position entering the weekend to make it to the final FedEx Cup playoff. Next week in Atlanta, he was fifth after 36 holes at the BMW Championship and needed to finish tied for fourth or better to advance. But it was a tough weekend for the Abbotsford golfer. He needed to shoot eight under 64 today to get in. Didn't do that. Shot four over 76, so his season is over. But he did make $2 million in prize money and had five top tens, so pretty impressive stuff on the best golf tour in the world. A little tougher conditions at Medina, Medina near Chicago for the final round. Fellow Canadian Corey Connors, who had his first win earlier this season, did have a good weekend out of the bunker on the first. That's a tough shot out of the fairway bunker. Great shot to two and a half feet, led to birdie, and then at the seventh, Connors with another birdie putt, finished in a tie for seventh at minus 15. So Connors will be in the field next week for the Tour Championship in Atlanta. 23rd in the standings, the top 30 get in, so we will have Canadian content next week. Tiger Woods, like Hadwin, needed to go very low today, but Tiger could only muster even par, so he will not be able to defend his tournament win in Atlanta in 2018. But a Masters victory, pretty good comeback season for 43-year-old Tiger Woods. 
26-year-old Justin Thomas, who fired the course record 11 under 61 yesterday at Medina, had trouble finding the fairways early today, but out of the rough at the seventh, brilliant shot, almost holes it for an eagle. And then out of the rough at 11, another fantastic approach by Thomas, who won the FedEx Cup in 2017. And that's another one that led to a birdie, but uh, this was not a runaway for Thomas by any stretch. Patrick Cantley playing alongside him in the final group on 13, rolls in the long birdie, gets to within two shots of Thomas. But moments later, Thomas will match that birdie to get his lead back to three. Now, Cantley had an excellent round, seven under 65, including this perfect read for birdie on 18 so Cantley enters next week second in the FedEx Cup standings moved all the way up to number two as for Thomas why not finish in style birdie to finish at 25 under he's the leader of the final group of 30 the new format this year the leader going into Atlanta starts next week's tournament at 10 under before they even begin Cantley in second will start at minus eight. Connor in 23rd will start at minus one. So no math required next week. Whoever finishes with the lowest score wins the $10 million first prize. It's obviously been a trying year for the Whitecaps sitting at the bottom of the West standings, but last night perhaps a glimpse into the future with Wayne Rooney and D.C. United in town looking for points in their bid for a playoff spot. The Whitecaps played one of their grittiest games of the year, winning 1-0 and showing the kind of heart that Mark DeSantos is trying to build going forward. Wayne Rooney will leave MLS to return to England next year to join Derby County as player coach just 17 minutes in. Russell Tybert, great determination, lays off to Jordi Reyna, who doesn't get much on it, but perfectly placed into the corner, and the Whitecaps have the lead. Rooney put on a fantastic passing display last night. Perfect ball for Ulysses Segura, but Max Cropot with his best Patrick Waugh impression there. Kick save, 1-0 at the half. Second half, Whitecaps corner, Derek Cornelius with a power header. But what a save by Bill Hamid, a strong hand to keep it out. And moments after that, it's Reyna with plenty of space. Fires it off the crossbar. The Whitecaps could have had three goals by now. Meanwhile, Rooney with a free kick, and that's not even close. Air mails it over the crossbar, subbed out in the 74th minute, but not before letting the fourth official have it with a verbal tirade. Not happy with the calls. DC had one more great chance. Luciano Acosta, header off the post, and then caught by Crepeau. The Whitecaps hang on for the 1-0 win. First home victory since May 25th, and the effort really pleased their head coach. What I told the players before, the game is, even if many people come to see uh, Rooney, um, the, the sum of our parts uh, have to, to be the difference maker. And I think that today in every facet of the game and everything we did, there was such a commitment from everyone. Um, and I'm proud of that. No sign of this team giving up. Premier League today, Frank Lampard still in search of his first win as Chelsea's manager. Man United beat Chelsea 4-0 in his EPL debut last week, but a good start. Wilford Ndidi, rather, with the blunder, led to Mason Mount's seventh-minute marker. Mount doing a great job just to keep his balance there. 1-0 Chelsea in front. But Ndidi makes up for his mistake in the second half on the 66th minute. 
off the corner kick and Didi rising up to nod that one in. And Leicester City come into Stamford Bridge and get a point. So a tough start for Chelsea in the Premiership. A loss and a draw after today's 1-1 tie with Leicester City. Welcome back. The Seahawks surprised some people last year going 10-6 and and making the playoffs as a wild card in the NFC before losing to Dallas in the first round. Seattle figures to be right back in the mix again this season, as long as Russell Wilson stays healthy, of course. Now, with the Rams in the same division, it would be a stretch to think Seattle could finish ahead of L.A. in the standings, but they are certainly wild card worthy. And tonight, the Hawks were in Minnesota for the second of their four preseason games. Russell Wilson, with his first action in the preseason, did not play in their opener last week. Wilson has never missed a start in seven seasons, 112 straight games, and doing what he does best here, running the football, didn't result in any points. One of the best receivers in the league is the Vikings' Adam Thielen, and uh, he's in fine form already. Look at that play. Beautiful over-the-shoulder catch on the delivery from Kirk Cousins, led to a Viking field goal. They led 3-0 second quarter. Seattle with the ball, third and ten. Wilson is finding uh, Jerron Brown, a 33-yard gain. Nice delivery by Russell, who was six of nine for 82 yards. That led to a field goal. Then the Seahawks defense steps up. Deshaun Shedd with the pick, and he is not going to stop until he crosses the uh, goal line. Takes it all the way back, an 89-yard touchdown pick, six, ten, three Hawks, 10-10 right now. They're just about to start the third quarter. Minto Cup going on at the LEC. Orangeville, Ontario goes to 3-0 after beating Okotoks 11-4. So Orangeville has clinched first place and a bye into that best-of-five final next week. The uh, two BC teams meet tonight, Coquitlam and Victoria. The Shamrocks have to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. And the boys from Coquitlam will play Curacao tomorrow at 1 o'clock our time at the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. The Canadian champs stayed alive on Saturday, beating Italy 10-0. It's a double knockout tournament, so if Canada loses, they're out. But if they win, they keep on going. Blue Jays and Mariners, no Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today, out day-to-day right day with the so sore knee. Mariners had their hitting shoes on today. This two-run shot by Tom Murphy, one of four homers on the day for Seattle. They led 4-0, but the story was the M starting pitcher, Yusei Kikuchi, had the best game of his career. A complete game, two-hit shutout for the Japanese pitcher. Eight strikeouts, including Kevin Biggio, to end the game. Mariners win it 7-0. The Jays visit Seattle for the only time this season, this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Blue Jay fans, as always, expected to take over the Mariners' ballpark. That's always a fun atmosphere. And yesterday in Whistler, Crankworks continuing. Red Bull Joyride, Vernon's Brent Reeder riding with a chance to win the Triple Crown of Slopestyle events at Crankworks. Just needed to win. Whistler was sitting in 10th, heading into his second run, and then threw it all down here. Said he kind of made up that run. Wasn't sure what he was going to do, but it all worked out great. Ended up with a uh, great score here. And 94.5 wasn't enough for gold, but it was enough for him to win the uh, Slopestyle World Championship. I blew my mind, too. I wasn't, I wasn't even expecting to do a run like on that caliber at all, and then all the boys were sending it, and I was just like, man, I, like, I, I, I'm here. Like, this is my chance. Okay, it has been listed numerous times as one of the most livable cities mm-hmm. in the world, but Vancouver's newest accolade may have some of you saying, 
Hmm. A travel company has just named Vancouver the world's friendliest city. And as Jill Bennett reports, the reasons why may have you agreeing with the many respondents. It seems even the pirates in Vancouver are friendly. Vancouver, yeah, friendly, you betcha, yeah, yeah. Pirates a little iffy, but the regular Vancouver folk, oh yeah, very friendly. To be fair, pirate etiquette wasn't on the list of things that put Vancouver on the top of the list for friendliest cities in the world, but it can't hurt. According to the company Big 7 Travel, Vancouver is number one, ahead of Kuala Lumpur and Bruges. And the reasons why? Seems like people here already know the answers. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. People are so open, it's diverse, it's fun, and uh, I can't, I don't have a bad word to say about this city. Everybody's just so friendly and helpful, pointing us in the right direction if we get lost. We went to the Seawees concert and people sat at our tables and they were very friendly to us. You heard that right. The city, often dubbed no fun, too expensive and cold and rainy, is where you find plenty of friendly. But is it possible the sunny, beautiful weather plays a big role? Because really, what is there to complain about on a day like this? It's hard to be grumpy when you're surrounded by such beautiful scenery and nature and the ocean and the weather. And, you know, it's just, it's an easygoing place. Very beautiful. Like if you ask directions or things, are people friendly and nice? Nice, very nice. Very polite, very nice. Everything is fine. The only other Canadian city to make the list is Montreal. As for the least friendly city, that title goes to Rome. Apparently, there are so many tourists there asking directions, the locals got a little grumpy. Jill Bennett, Global News, in friendly Vancouver. All right, and Kasha is in uh, at the PNE where everyone's friendly generally. Everyone's friendly here. Tomorrow we do have a sun cloud mix. It's going to be another great day. But the PNE is closed for the reopening on Tuesday. Plenty of sunshine, Colleen. All right. Thanks so much, Kasha. Before we go tonight, we want to bid a fond farewell to a beloved member of our global BC family. Reporter Tanya Beja made the tough decision to change careers so that she can spend more time with her young family. For nearly a decade, she has been one of the most talented and dedicated journalists we have. Always professional always lovely to deal with. We're all going to miss her dearly and wish her all the best in her new adventure. Mm -hmm. Tanya, thank you. Yes, thanks so much. See you soon. And see you soon. Thanks for joining us. Take care.